0: Can you welcome everybody watching right now on the internet? Good morning, everybody, wherever you are, around the country, around the world. I've got some friends from Illinois here today. Good to see you guys. Hello. Welcome to the Sunshine State. Awesome. We're excited about what God's doing in the next couple of weeks here at Calvary and around the world. I really believe God's going to do something supernatural uh, next Sunday, just globally, in this resurrection weekend we're experiencing. Can we be praying for not just Calvary, but for a move of God in general? I mean, people are hurting. They're ready. They're open. They're looking for the real. They're looking for God. I believe people genuinely want God. What they don't want is religion, and what they don't want is a bunch of show. They want the truth, and I believe that God's being faithful to bring that to them, so we're excited about next week. Yeah, amen. Today, we're still in our series Reach. We're going to finish it up this week. And then next month, you know, we start with Easter and then we're going to move into some equipping things with the Holy Spirit Conference. How are you excited about the Holy Spirit Conference coming? Yeah. So that whole let it rain, God, that whole posture about just give it to me, God, let's bring that into the Holy Spirit Conference, all right? Let's come in that same attitude of openness. God, I am just here and just pour yourself out on me and just wash away and just do what you're going to do in my life. But today, in talking about reach, if you're taking notes, which I encourage everyone to take notes, we have Bibles provided for you, and we even have free notebooks provided for you out at these side tables and there in the back, because we really value taking notes. So grab your Bibles, grab your notebooks, and today I would like you to write down the title, because I have an official title, that I really want to ring in your ears today, and it's this, 10 Seconds of Courage. 10 Seconds of Courage. We're talking about reaching, we're talking about going after, seeking, and saving that which is lost. Open up your Bibles, if you would please, today, to the book of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I continue to speak this over you, Calvary, because I believe it is your identity. You are a soul-winning church. Amen. God uses you to bring thousands and thousands of people to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ but you're not just a soul-winning church, you're a discipling church. Somebody say amen. You are a discipling church. But we've gotta catch a fish, amen, to be able to then work with them and train them and stuff, so. But I just want you to see that that's who we are. We're not a church that's just here to have religious services. We are here to seek and save that which was lost. So Luke chapter 15, have you found it in your Bibles? Let's go ahead and read a few of these parables that Jesus was teaching on, and he was describing and trying to introduce the kingdom of God. He was trying to introduce God's mindset, how God operates, the way God thinks. He was trying to introduce this to the people of Israel, and he used these parables and these stories to help them see more clearly the heart of God. Luke chapter 15, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Don't you think that's cool? You know, people who are seeking, people who are lost… They want to hear what Jesus has to say, they just don't want all the fluff and all the other stuff. They want to… What is, what's Jesus saying? Who is this guy? This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus told them this story, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety and nine others in the wilderness? and go search for the one that was lost until he finds it. Would you please underline that part of the Scripture? He searches until he finds it. I love that heart of God that He doesn't just give it a once-over, but God puts His mind, God puts His focus on our lives, and He is seeking to save us all the days of our lives up to the very last breath. And I love it that He has this vision, I'm going to seek until I find. Even if you put, up, put me off, even if you give me all these excuses, we are not going to quit on people, amen, because we carry the heartbeat of Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see us. Why? Because we're His body. Somebody say amen. amen. The church should look and sound and act just like Him, which means if He's going to seek till He finds, we seek till we find. We don't just give it a once in a while, we'll just do an outreach here or there. We seek to find. Not seek to say that we did outreach, not seek to say that we do evangelism. It's not a a program in the church. We seek to find. Amen. Until he finds. And when he has found it, he joyfully carries it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together all of his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to god and over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away may we be a church that always celebrates and rejoices the one and the many amen but i i love the idea that we learn this uh, this this habit of celebration over salvations May we never take that granted for granted when somebody commits their life to jesus for the first time we sometimes forget what it feels like to be lost and what it feels like to be found. And may we as a church celebrate year after year as if it's the very first time and if it's your own salvation or your own family getting saved. I love that. The next parable, Jesus going on, says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins, loses one, won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, and search carefully until she finds it? Can you underline that again? There's a similarity there. Do you see it? Jesus is emphasizing this for a reason. Remember, He's teaching the people, the Pharisees especially, those that are critical, that have all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't go after sinners and shouldn't be defiling ourselves among them. Church, we belong in the midst of the lost. Come on. Church is not about us having a holy huddle in a building. You are the church. The church is not this building. You're the church and wherever you go, the church goes. And we're meant to know people and meet people and bring new relationships into our lives that do not know Jesus. And then we're intentional about reaching until they're found. Not just a casual passing, you know, idea, but this is a passion. We're, we're missional in this until she finds it. When she finds it, she'll call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God. It's angels, even when one sinner repents. And then there's one more parable that continues on. I won't take time to read the whole chapter, but the next parable is the parable of the lost son. In this story, we see a young man who asks for the, the father to give him his inheritance early. The father gives it to him. The young man then goes off into the world and he spends and wastes all of his money and he comes at the end of his rope. He's lost everything. He's away from his father. He's away from his father's house and he finds himself eating with the pigs. In his life, he went and did whatever was in his carnal heart to do and he found himself eating with the pigs. And then in that moment, the Bible says he comes to himself And he says, the servants in my father's house eat better than this. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to beg my father to make me a slave so that I can at least do better than this. But when he comes home, many of you remember this story. When he comes home, the Bible says that the father sees him from afar off and the father is filled with love. And as the young man is coming towards the father, the father chases him down and runs after him doesn't even let the boy get to the house. It's like the father is so excited that his son is coming home. His anxiousness… I want you to see this. These parables and stories are illustrating God's heart towards the lost, towards people. God wants to bring people to salvation, to forgiveness of their sins, into eternal life, to save them from death, to save them from hell, to save them from Satan. God is so anxious and eager and desiring it. In this story, you see his heart. He doesn't even wait for the young man to get to the altar. God chases him to the parking lot. What if that's next Sunday? What if people are coming to Jesus in the parking lots? Because the Holy Spirit of God is pursuing them. What if in just them saying yes to come to church, they begin to give their lives to Jesus before they ever come, like on Thursday, and people think, you can't get saved on a Thursday. You're supposed to get saved on a Sunday, but yet the eagerness of the heart of God. Let's not put any limitations, but there's some things I want to point out in all three of these parables. There's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, and there's a lost son. I want us to see that all three of these speak of something of value. Sheep in the Bible represented wealth. That, was, that could feed a family, that they could be sold for money. Sheep were valuable, a lost coin. It's valuable. Amen? That's why she wanted to find it. <laughs> How many of you, when you lose money, you want to find it? Anybody? Yes, I hate wasting money. I overpay for something, it bothers me for like, until I get deliverance. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a long time. I hate wasting money. Money has value. That coin had value, and we obviously know our children are valuable to us. All three of these parables illustrated something of value that was lost. That's what I want to help us see today about the lost. The lost already have value. They don't become valuable after they're found. They're valuable lost, which is why God seeks and saves them. They mean something to Him. They matter to Him. And I have this bowl here today uh, of dirt. I walked in this morning, and Pastor Manny thought it was a giant brownie, and he was disappointed to find out it was dirt. I should have let him taste it and then told him about it. I mean, like, oh yeah, it's brownie. But buried underneath this dirt is a $20 bill. Ooh. <laughs> I love the miracle of a $20 bill. Let me ask you this. Would you take this $20 if I gave it to you? <laughs> but it's dirty. It's dirty. Does it change its worth? Does it change its value? But it's it's got it's full of dirt and it's 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 life and sin and all these burdens and addictions are pressing down on it and you know it's it's just not it's not pure, it's not clean, it's 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 dirty. Would you still want it? Let's respond. Yes. Correct? Absolutely. Why? Because no amount of dirt being put on top of this or pressing down upon or on that person's life, no amount of dirt can change its value, can change its wealth, amen. I can take this $20 and I could crush it, and there's people out there whose lives have been crushed and destroyed by sin, by addiction, by their own choices. But no amount of crushing I do is going to change the worth or the value of this 20. Amen? See, I want to remind us that people are buried treasure. People are buried treasure. And sometimes all we see is the dirt. And we walk by them, and we're like, they're an addict, or they're such a jerk. Not a Christian would ever say that. Come on. You're such a jerk. God loves you. I don't. You see, people on the news, some of you have people on the news that if they come on, you're like, not naming any names. But you know what? That person is buried treasure. And they're worth our time they're worth our energy, they're worth our effort until they are saved, until they are found. Amen. No amount of time, what if this is buried for years? What if this is in this dirt for years? No amount of time changes that person's value to God. Isn't that amazing? There's treasure that's been buried in the ocean for thousands of years, and if you find it, it's still worth great wealth lost sheep, lost coins, lost son, all of them had value, which is what was the catalyst to going and finding them. See, when we start valuing people, when we start loving people, we're motivated to do something about it, to go after it. When we begin writing people off, they're too lost, they're too sinful, they're too irritating, they're too this, they're too that, and we just kind of, you know, push them off, We are not seeing their worth or their value, and my prayer today is God give us eyes to see the treasures that are around us. They're the wealth of the nations. So many times people decree and declare the wealth of the nations coming into the house of God. The wealth of the nations is the people. God is is more concerned about people than gold. God uses gold to go after the real treasure. Amen. Two, of, two out of three of those stories, I want you to see this. Two out of the three stories involve intentionality on the part of a seeker to go be a finder. Let me, let me clarify something really quick. I know it's popular in modern church to call those that don't know Jesus seekers, but I really like the biblical language that Jesus was the seeker. The treasure was lost. Didn't even didn't even know if they were seeking anything. You know, the, the sheep was out there like wandering off. Doesn't say it was seeking the shepherd, says the shepherd was seeking the lost. So I'm not here to get into semantics. If you want to call people seekers and stuff, that's fine. I'm just trying to show you, I don't want to delegate or remove our responsibility that we are the seekers, we're the treasure hunters, we're the ones that pursue, we're in the image of God. We look like Jesus to them, and Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to seek until He finds He's the number one seeker. Isn't that awesome? why because he sees the value he sees his kids they matter to him and i want to show you that two of three of these illustrations is about is about jesus saying there is an intentional seeking to find that which is lost the third that individual had experience in the Father's house, that individual had an awareness of the Father's house, and they had a desire to return to the Father's house. There are a lot of people that are in that category that at some point in their life have had a relationship with God, have been in the Father's house, and they become aware of their current situation, how lost they are, and praise God, they say, I'm going back to the Father's house. But I want you to see something. Two-thirds of that parable there are more people that we have to go seek than us just waiting around for people just to discover I'm going to go back to church one day. Too many times we're like, oh, they're just going to wake up and want to go to church. They're going to wake up and not saying the church is Jesus. We're the church. I don't want to get all that, like just going to church. I'm talking about get, going to church so they can find Christ, to hear the word of God, and, and all those things. But the, the idea is this there are those that will wake up and say, I need to get my life right with God on their own. That happens but there's a greater group of individuals that we will need to go after and pursue them. And we can't forget about them. Because our church is filling with people like the prodigal son that's just coming home from past seeds that have been sown in their life. There's people who have never had a seed sown in their life. There's people who've never heard the name of Jesus. There's people that are confused about Jesus. There's people that they've lived in a, in America with all these churches that they never darkened the door of a church. never saw reason to. They don't know the value of. It. They don't know the good news. They just see. They see stuff the news media tells them about Christians, but they've never met Jesus. Are you understanding? And so two thirds, the large majority, will take us being intentional about seeking them. Do you see that? And so we as a church can't get lazy and just say, oh, look, God's bringing people back to Himself from seeds that were sown in the past. There's still two-thirds of this world that have never heard, and that we have to intentionally go share the good news and go be in their life and go walk with them and be a good example and go seek to save. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Open up your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Luke, chapter 19, just a couple pages over, keeping it easy for you today. Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus and a man named Zacchaeus. The Bible says Jesus entered into Jericho and he made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region. He'd become very rich and he tried to get a look at Jesus. Well, I want you to… I love this part that it says he's a chief tax collector and he became very rich. Look, there are people who in the natural are in a desperate place, and they have a a physical need, they have some crisis in their life, and, you know, we, we think they need Jesus. But, you know, there's people that are very wealthy that need Jesus too. There's people that are very influential that need Jesus too. God is not impressed by somebody's wealth and he's not intimidated by them, and he doesn't sit there and say, oh, they must not need me because it looks like their life's together. Every single human being on the planet needs Jesus Christ. Every single human being's life would drastically and dramatically change if they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We believe Jesus isn't just adding religion, he's a transformative savior of every single human life, and they need him to have eternal life. So he's a chief tax collector, Uh, He was very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus. I like that part of the Scripture because it's saying that something inside of Zacchaeus, even though he was rich, even though he was influential, something in him started him questioning his need for, for who this Jesus was. Like, maybe I do need him. Maybe I do need Jesus. I want to go hear what he has to say. So he had this kind of openness, so God was already kind of working on him a little bit, which I want us to see that God knows how to set this up for us. God is working with us. Amen. It's not like you're just walking into somebody's life cold turkey. I'm telling you, if you let the Holy Spirit lead you, He's probably already been giving them dreams. He's probably already been speaking to them through even TV commercials or people they're running into at work. God is doing this with us. Amen. Why? Because he's, 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 he's seeking to save. He's, he's, he's getting involved in this. He doesn't just send it and give us the responsibility. He does it with us. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but He was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree or sycamore fig tree beside the road, and Jesus was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. What I want to point out about this Scripture is Jesus was busy. He was heading somewhere, but he had the wherewithal to be led by the Holy Spirit to look around him while he was busy going somewhere. Does God have the permission in your life as a seeker to go seek and save the lost? Does God have permission to interrupt your agenda? Does God have permission to prompt you when you're focused to go this way to say, take a look to the left real quick, and you notice a coworker there today, and you notice a friend from school or college over here on the right, that you notice that perhaps they're paying attention to something, that their heart might be being prompted by God what I love about Jesus in this is that he changed his vision. He was His vision for the day where he was going, his, his plan, he, the Bible says he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus up there. There was a, a changing of what his eyes were fixed on, and he saw something. And he wouldn't have seen him if he just would have been tunnel vision. And so many times Christians were so tunnel vision with our agenda that we forget that every day there's a greater agenda that's still upon our lives. Is that good? Jesus called him by name. I love it. It's personal. Zacchaeus. I don't know. Maybe that was prophetic. I don't know if he knew who Zacchaeus was or if the Holy Spirit gave him Zacchaeus' his name. I think it's fine either way, but I think it's super cool if he didn't know his name and he was just like, hey, Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is like, what? You know my name because God knew him, right? Because God knew him. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Here's something else to keep in mind as we're seeking the lost. Jesus didn't just bring or ask Zacchaeus to come to where he was going. Jesus was willing to step into Zacchaeus' house, into Zacchaeus's world. We don't have to be afraid of going in to the lost's house or into their world, worried that it's going to corrupt you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Here's my belief. My belief is we get so close to God and we understand what he's offering us so much, No temptation that the enemy or the world could offer me is going to pull me away. Why would I give up all this to go down and live that life with the pigs again? You see what I'm saying? Sometimes we live this this paranoid thing like if I step into the life of an unbeliever, I'm going to be attracted to their life. And it's almost like you're barely hanging on to your your salvation and barely hanging on to your relationship with God. My friend, you are so in love with God and God is so real to you. you. You know what I'm saying? Like, doesn't matter what the world offers. Why would I turn away the kingdom for something that's passing away? Why would I give this up for that? I'm telling you, you can walk into the world and not be afraid of the world. The devil should be afraid of you. Yeah, yeah. Amen. 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 So Jesus goes and he eats with Zacchaeus, and at the end of the meal, Zacchaeus, he doesn't even preach at him, but at the end of the meal, Zacchaeus is like, okay, okay, okay. give my life to you (laughs) and Jesus is just eating his soup I love that that you just go be in people's lives and there's this conviction there's this awareness that comes on just you carry the kingdom and the presence and the truth you walk in the life you live in front of them and Zacchaeus is like I can't take it anymore (laughs) and Jesus wasn't even preaching at the time if you follow the story he was just eating right I love that you're anointed to do this Jesus is just eating, and He's like, fine, I'll commit my life to you, and anyone I've wronged, I'll pay them back, and I'll take half of my wealth and give it away. I mean, this whole life was totally transformed. But again, I want you to see this. Jesus went after Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't just walk by. Jesus didn't just say, well, one day He'll come around. There was an intentionality. There was an ask. There was an ask involved. So 10 seconds of courage. Do you remember I told you to write that down as the title? Two of you? Okay, well that was about 20 minutes ago. I asked you to write down 10 seconds of courage. You didn't even retain it for 10 seconds, so I'm gonna gonna preach this. 10 seconds of courage. There was a movie years ago called We Bought a Zoo. Anyone ever seen the movie We Bought a Zoo? Up in the galleries, they saw it over there. Anybody else? we bought a zoo. So first of all, let me tell you a funny story about it, and then I'll teach on 10 seconds of courage. I have a knack of choosing the worst Mother's Day movies of any husband because every time I pick a Mother's Day movie, the mom dies in the beginning of the movie. It's happened three or four times. It's a running joke in my family. We're watching this We Bought a Zoo movie and within five minutes we know the mom is dead. The kids are grieving. The husband is a bachelor again. And all these women are bringing him lasagnas, right? (laughs) And Maria's already crying. She's like bawling, like envisioning the kids without the mom and all this. And I'm like, this was supposed to bless you. This was a Mother's Day, like we're going to eat and have, watch a movie and be with the kids, and she's just a mess. So that's my anointing, terrible Mother's Day movies. It's like Mother's Day, let's watch Bambi. You know what I mean? It's one of those kind of things. In the movie, the dad is talking to his kids about when he, he met their mother. And she was sitting in some cafe, he was walking by the window, he saw her, he thought she was beautiful, and all of a sudden he just had this this courage to walk into a strange cafe to talk to a woman he never met and just to introduce himself and ask her if she would have coffee with him and he did that, and she ended up having coffee, and they ended up getting married and having the kids. Later on in the movie, his son is, is, you know, falling for a young girl, and he's nervous. He doesn't know what to say to her, and he's, all this stuff, and his dad gives him the advice he used when he was, you know, going after his mother. He said, son, if you can just have 10 seconds of courage, just 10 seconds, and just go talk to that girl, go introduce yourself. Go sit down and have coffee with her, whatever. Just 10 seconds of courage. He said, you can do it. And that's what I'm asking you to do for next Sunday for Easter, not to go find a strange woman at a cafe, <laughs> but to have 10 seconds of courage to invite someone to come with you to church next week. It's because the same principle is true that even the build-up to talking to your neighbor or asking a family member to join you for church or a coworker it's all the internal dialogue you have before you start talking to them that makes you panic, that makes us anxious. But if you can push through the fear of opening your mouth for the first time and inviting them, just give it 10 seconds by 11, 12, 13 seconds, you're already into the invite, and you find out it becomes a whole lot easier. Is that making sense? I mean, you can find it to be true. I mean, many of us have been in this situation. I remember when I was about to ask Maria to go with me to our junior-senior, our prom, and it was the first time I was going to ask her on a date. And I remember, that's why that movie is so relatable, because, men, do you remember how nervous you were to ask your wife, when you, she was not your wife and she wasn't your girlfriend, to ask her on your first date? I mean, it was like, oh my goodness, you could feel your heart beating out of your chest, your palms were sweaty. I was like, you know, I think I was like 17 years old, so my voice is still probably changing at the time. You know, yeah, how are you doing? It's kind of but if I could just muster 10 seconds and just get to the first two sentences, would you go to our prom with me and just see what happens after that? And all that. I had that same panic attack when I was asking her dad for her hand in marriage. You probably don't know her dad, but he's a very unreadable person. Like, he he shows nothing. He'd be a great poker player, though I don't think he's ever played poker in his life. He shows nothing And so, I didn't know when I was asking for his daughter's hand in marriage if I was getting through, or I didn't know if this would be my last conversation with his family. And he finally said, yes. I mean, that was like the big reveal. (laughs) Yes, you may. (laughs) But I remember that lead up and the the nerves to ask for his hand in marriage. And then, obviously, the last one would be to... to, um, ask Maria to marry me, because there wasn't a guarantee she would at the time. I had told my friend, we had driven down to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where she was going to school at Oral Roberts University, and I had told my friend that drove with me, I said, if she says no, I said, we're driving home tonight, we're driving back to Illinois tonight, I'm not sticking around, because I wasn't sure. And I remember the nerves. But again, once you start having the conversation, once you open your mouth, it gets a whole lot easier. It's all this stuff before you open your mouth that can make you quit, that can make you give up, but just do it, man. Just 10 seconds of courage. On a different note, not relational, but I remember when we were making the transition from Illinois to Florida, and God had asked us to lay down our church in Illinois. How nervous it, I was to even let it come out of my mouth, especially to tell the congregation that we would be transitioning. I, I was just sick in my stomach about it. But once, you, once we started telling the story, once we started sharing the dream that God had given us, it got a whole lot easier. I'm telling you, my friends, this works in so many areas of our life. God, just give me 10 seconds of courage. This week, my friends, if you could just ask God, give me 10 seconds of courage. I have a coworker. Maybe God's putting them on your mind right now. That doesn't know Jesus. It's never been to church, but he, he's on your heart. He's probably on your heart, or she's probably on your heart, because God is focusing in on them, kind of like Zacchaeus, beginning to prompt their heart to prepare their heart so that you can go ahead and make the ask. But you're going to have to ask. Please do not wait for everyone to be a prodigal son moment, where they're just going to wake up and come with to church one day but they're a lost coin. They're a lost sheep. You must go to them and be courageous and open your mouth and ask them to join you. Amen? I thought I'd get a bigger amen than that. Oh, there it is. I knew, I, I knew I'd get a bigger amen. Some of the mind games that people go through when it comes to asking somebody to join them… Easter is like such an easy moment to ask somebody to go to church. Because there's like this big holiday that the whole world is celebrating and people kind of get it. It's an easy one, but we have these thoughts like I don't want to offend somebody. Have you ever had just that thought come in your mind? Like I don't want to offend them so I don't want to invite them to church. My friend, they're lost and they're going to hell if they don't know Jesus. Do you believe if they give their life to Jesus it'll transform and increase the value and fruitfulness of their life like a billion fold? Do you believe that? then offend them." (laughs) Oh, I don't want to offend them. You're not trying to… Your goal isn't to offend them. They may be offended, but that's not why you're doing it. Your your goal is to seek to save, to save them. And these things that these these cultural walls we put up or these cultural mindsets that we put up, I don't want to offend anybody. First of all, we live in a generation and a culture that everything offends everybody. If you drink coffee, the tea drinkers are mad. If you don't drink tea, or if you drink tea, whatever. Everyone's mad about everything. The idea of not offending them, I mean, come on. People get offended about silly stuff, but you can't let that bully you. You can't let that determine the mission and mandate that's on your life. I don't want to interrupt them. You know what's an interruption? Death. And you never know when it's coming. Come on. Interrupt them. Interrupt him. Jesus interrupted Paul, or he was Saul, on his road to Damascus, where he was going to kill and torture Christians and arrest them and rip up families. You know what? God interrupted that path. And I love this too, Jesus wasn't intimidated by him. Don't be intimidated to interrupt somebody's path. Their path is leading to destruction. Their path is leading to their destruction and the destruction of others. Another lie that we have to deal with sometimes is I don't want to come across pushy. Seek to save. Seek to save. There is a level of passion involved in this. There is a level. Look. Oh, hallelujah. We just had a mic stand slain in the spirit over here. Can we put a blanket over it? Somebody have a, a towel put over that. Some modesty cloth, please. <laughs> See, the stage is getting ready for the Holy Spirit conference, everybody. I mean, it's already happening. It's already happening. Our mic stands, they're already going out under the power. It's awesome. there is a pushiness my friends like we got to get over this people are pushier about you buying their timeshare than we are about people coming to know jesus you can't get rid of those people not and if you sell timeshares god bless you we love you i should say that because i don't want to offend anybody i don't want to offend you right we love our timeshare pushers so anyway man i am so sorry that was so wrong But the point is, they're passionate about what they're doing. There you go. They are passionate about what they're doing. And you got to get a little pushy sometimes. You have to get in front of the need. You have to get in front of people and offer, amen? And the last kind of thought, what will they think about me? It's not about you. It's about their life. They're lost. They're dying. They're going to hell. You're going to go to heaven. You have this beautiful eternity in front of you and you're like, well, what are they gonna think about me? My friend, it's not about you. It's about them. It's about them. And when you think about them, you can push through whatever fears or anxiety because you know you're trying to help them. You're not self-serving this. It's not for you. All of these lies that we face, I don't wanna offend anybody, I don't wanna interrupt anybody, I don't wanna come across pushy, what will they think about me? All these concerned, concerns have created delayed obedience in the body of Christ it's removed our passion and our sense of urgency we've become too casual about the mission I don't want to offend I don't want to be pushy I don't want them to think that's about me and we've become super casual about the mission let me just remind you with a few verses today 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 starting at verse 11 you can look it up later 11 through 21 but I'm going to just share a couple verses 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, talking about this idea of being too casual with the mission and losing our sense of urgency. Paul, the apostle, says this, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Does that sound casual? There's an urgency there because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. There's a word. When we plead. Does that sound casual? Does that sound disinterested or half-hearted? No, there's a pleading with people because it's that big of a deal, amen. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins, that we could be made right with God through Christ. God is making his appeal through us. The Lord convicted me on that years ago. I think I shared this story once, but I was a waiter at Perkins Bakery and Restaurant in high school. I made muffins early in the morning and pies, and I served food during the afternoons. And I remember a table, and it was back when we had smoking sections and non-smoking sections, and it was late at night, it was like 12 o'clock at night or something, because it was a 24-hour restaurant. And I was serving coffee, and they were smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee all night, these, these young people that were at the, serve, at the table. And I just felt this desire to invite them to come to church, to, be, to come and tour. We were experiencing a big youth revival at the time, and I thought maybe they could benefit from it, and I remember I was so casual about it. I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe you want to come to church or something, you know. I wouldn't have. I wasn't even motivated to do what I was asking them to do. And if it wouldn't motivate me, why would it motivate them? There was no urgency. Now I'm grateful. I kind of stepped out and did a little something. But the point is, is the Lord spoke to me after that, and He said, "Kevin, your ask." needs to include my passion. Your posture needs to include my passion. The way you speak to them, they need to know how important they are to me, and they know by the, the, the importance of how you ask them, the way you ask them, the way you talk about them coming, the way you desire them to be with you. The, what, they don't know me, but they see you, and you are my expression in that moment. If you're too casual, you're going to make me look casual. And I'm not casual about them. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not lazy or disinterested or, or kind of like kesara-sara, kesara-sara, if you I don't know how to spell that. You can write down in your notes. But do you come? If you don't come, it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. It's a very big deal. We are Christ's ambassadors. God's making His appeal through us. We plead with people. So just a couple verses that we can pray over our lives and just know that we're in good company because, hey, it's still going to take 10 seconds of courage to do this. And even the apostles needed courage. Don't look at it and say, oh, Pastor Kevin's got all this together. I I guarantee you there are times that the Holy Spirit begins to tell me to talk to somebody that I'm still like, nope, not going to do it. I am freaking out right now, you know, like no. And God has to help me get over those fears. But I want to see that we're in good company because even the apostles asked for courage. Ephesians chapter six, verse 19, Paul said this, pray for me, ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mystery and plan the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul was saying, please pray for me. Pray that I have boldness and pray that I have the words. Acts chapter four, verse 29, the other apostles in a similar way prayed this, verse 29, and now, O Lord, hear their threats give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through your name of your holy servant Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. So even the apostles needed kind of a fresh baptism of boldness. There was persecution, there was things going on around them, and they were like, God, don't let us be, don't let us change for that. Give us the courage and boldness to preach your word and show up with signs following. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities.